So um, can, um, I'm going to share this with you guys. It's a quote here. It says, uh, I'm about to hurt your feelings. Uh, if right now you're complaining about something, you're not complaining because you have a lack of resources problem, a location problem, situation problem, people problem, suffering problem, fairness problem, physical health problem, church problem, marriage problem, employment problem, parent problem, life difficulty problem, neighbor problem, or fallen world problem. Sure, you may be dealing with difficulty in one or more of these areas, but they are not the cause of your grumbling. Your tendency to complain is rooted at a deeper level. Here's the bottom line. We complain not because we have a stuff-of-life problem, but because we have an awe problem. Our problem is not just what we are dealing with, but more foundationally how our view of God shapes how we see and deal with it. Now, uh, the reason I, I bring this up is because, you know, holiday season's coming up, and, you know, I guess we're, I don't know, are we in it? I guess we're in it. I don't know, maybe Black Friday of officially launches it. But um, we can go kind of one or two ways, right? You know, Thanksgiving is coming up this week. Christmas is coming up soon. And we can really go into kind of a empty busyness, which leads us to a depression, a loneliness, kind of this, this feeling that there's a lot going on, but like a lot of important things aren't happening. I don't feel like connected in my heart. Or we can go into really a, a gratitude and a compassion and a joy, things that are typically associated with the holiday season. But sometimes when we feel like those things aren't real, like it's the things that people are kind of saying that you're supposed to feel and you're supposed to be in, but we don't really feel it. You know, we can go the other way. And this tends to be the kind of time that we think about some of these things. You know, in fact, it's, it's kind of supported, you know, statistically this season. I don't know if it's because it's winter or it's because of some of the holidays going on, but people tend to get, like, depressed. People tend to be, you know, insular. They tend to stay home. I don't know what's going on today. Maybe people are cold. They don't want to come to church. But, like, th this is something that tends to happen in this season. And I'm hoping that as we enter this season, we can have more of the opposite experience. You know, not get into that, you know, kind of complaining heart, not go into that kind of loneliness, not go into that empty busyness, but we can really embrace the compassion and the joy and the gratitude that the season is, I think, supposed to be about. And particularly for Christians, it's, it's something that we should we should feel and embrace in this season. And that's what I'm hoping to get at today. It's not officially like our Advent series. We're going to get into that next week, but it is kind of that idea. And so we're going to be looking at, you know, how can we really embrace particularly the idea of gratitude? How can we live a life as we enter into this season? How can we operate out of this feeling of, of gratitude and abundance rather than, you know, scarcity? So that's what we're going to be kind of stepping into today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. 
And uh, this is God's word. And it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Okay, so um, let's stop right there for a second. Jesus is invited by a Pharisee to his house to eat, right? So eating together was a way of associating with someone in a socially and relationally kind of intimate way in the ancient world. Now, since Jesus was a public figure, what would happen is they would be eating together, but they would leave the door open. So anybody who wanted to come in could just come in. They could kind of be on the outsides. They could listen to the conversation that they're having, you know, and typically when they would eat, you know, just to remind you guys, like, you know, it would be like a low table, right? And the way they would eat is they would like sit like this and they would like, their body would be towards the table, but their feet would be away from the table, obviously, because the table's low. They didn't sit, you know, cross-legged, like, under the table, like, like Asians do. You know, but they kind of sit, like, like this, and they would be, like, towards the table, right? And so they would just be doing whatever, like, they're, I don't know, they're probably debating the law or something. Maybe they're joking around. I always imagine that maybe Jesus, does Jesus joke around? I don't know, maybe, right? I imagine that Jesus is joking all the time, probably. I don't know why, because... We have a sense of humor. Jesus probably had a sense of humor. I feel like he's just saying stuff like, you know, I don't know, like, I'm a lot older than I look. You know, like something like that that people don't get. You know, it's just like over their heads, but he's like laughing to himself. Anyway, so like, so they're eating, right? And they're having this, this like conversation. And this, the, the text tells us, a woman of the city, a sinner, walks in. Now, it's at the very least implied that this woman is a prostitute. Okay, so now put yourself in that context for a second. Imagine you're having lunch with someone. It's like a coworker or something, right? And you're having some kind of discussion. I don't know. You're at Chick-fil-A or something. You're at In-N-Out. I don't know. You're just having lunch. And then a prostitute, because I don't think that that's not a huge cultural gap, you know, to think a prostitute in that time and a prostitute today is like that different. So a prostitute walks in to in and out and sits at your table. That's kind of weird, right? I mean, I imagine she sits down and she's like, okay, uh, can I sit with you guys? Now, I don't know about you, but I would probably be like, no, thank you, <laughs> right? Like, no, you know, for many reasons, probably because there's other people in the rest. There's a public place, looks kind of weird. You know, I don't know. I'm a pastor. I'm having lunch with somebody. Do we really want this, you know, this... At least that would be my first inclination. Like, I, would, I wouldn't be first thinking, like, oh, like, you know, awesome ministry opportunity. I would probably be, like, a little. Because if it's obvious that this person is a prostitute from the way that she's walking in here, I wouldn't feel super comfortable being, like, okay, yeah, like, cool. Of course, that's different than Jesus' response. Right? This, this woman comes in saying nothing in this entire narrative, by the way. She doesn't say anything. She comes in, she pours this perfume on Jesus' feet, wipes it with her, uh, with her hair, 
and she's crying, it says. She brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, there's a similar account of this passage that's not the same account, but in the other Gospels, there's a similar account of when Mary does this, which is later and in a different place. And so we know that it's not the same. That's in Bethany. This is Galilee. They're identified as different people. Mary wasn't a prostitute. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different things. But that account tells us that this was maybe like, you know, a year's wages. So you can just imagine how much that is, what this is worth. Maybe it's maybe similar, at least in that idea, the, the, the cost. And she pours this out, and she has this kind of experience with, you know, Jesus. Now, remember, so they're kind of sitting like this, right? And so he's sitting at the table. Woman comes in, kind of like, it says behind him, right? Because kind of like your legs are kind of behind you when you're, when you're sitting because you're not facing them. They're like away from the table, and you're facing the table. So she just kind of comes in behind, and she does this. And Simon, the Pharisee, says, like, if this man were a prophet, he would know what's going on. Like, if this guy was really a prophet, he would know what a sinner this woman is. That's his perspective. And so Jesus, he addresses that perspective. He says, and Jesus answering said to him, now he didn't ask anything to Jesus, but Jesus feels compelled to answer him, right? Answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. That's, I don't know why, but that's just like, kind of funny to me, right? Like, I have something to say to you. Say it, right? Uh, verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. So he tells a parable. And he says, there are these two guys, they owed money. One guy owed 500 denarii. Remember, a denarius is like a day's wage for a day laborer. So it's like 50 days worth of work versus 500 days worth of work, right? So let's just say roughly, to make it simple, like $5,000 versus $50,000. Okay, so one guy owes $5,000 and another guy owes, you know, $50,000. And he cancels the debt of both. And one, you know, who's going to be more happy, basically? Who's going to be happier about that? That's, like, pretty basic, right? What's the guy who had the bigger debt? And he says, you've judged rightly. And it goes on. Verse 44, he says, Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now when the Bible says turning to the woman, remember the woman is at his back. And so if he's turning towards the woman, he's turning his back to Simon. Right? And while his back is to Simon, he's talking to Simon. Right? So now he's looking at the woman and he's talking to Simon, and he's like, Simon, and he says these, he, he mentions these, basically these three acts, right? Washing of the feet, the kissing, and the anointing the head with oil. 
And these aren't things that you, in that culture, you would like have to do. But these would be things that would be considered, if you had an honored guest, this is something you would do. This is like good hospitality, right? So if you had a really honored guest, you would wash their feet because, you know, ancient world, they're all just wearing flip-flops basically, and it's dirty. There's no paved roads, and so their feet are dirty, right? And, you know, you would greet them with a kiss, and you would anoint their head with oil, and this is all just kind of things that they would do to kind of be refreshed, And what Jesus says is, so now he's not even looking at Simon. He's looking at the woman, and he's saying, you didn't wash my feet with water, but she's washing my feet, like, with with this valuable perfume, right? You didn't kiss me on the cheek, but she's kissing my feet, right? You didn't anoint my head with oil. She's anointing my, my feet with oil. So you see there is this gap, right? And, and Jesus' question is, do you see, do you see this woman? Now the point seems to be, the one who is forgiven much loves much. The one who is forgiven little loves little, right? That's the point of the parable. That's even what Jesus says. But the question for us is, what does it mean to be forgiven much versus to be forgiven little? You know, does it mean that I would be a better Christian, I would love God more, if I had been a worse sinner prior to knowing him? Right? Does it mean if I had like a history, right? If I had like a bad boy life, you know, in my past, which... I don't have, right? I was never cool enough for that, right? But if I had that, would I be a better Christian, you know, now? Because, oh, I was so bad then, and then I met Jesus, and then all the grace, you know, transformed me, and then now I would be, you know, even better. And no, that's not what's being said here, right? Because if we pay attention to the account, we, the account, we can see that. The central themes of the account are li- linked to the main characters, Right? The Pharisee sees himself as the little sinner. He sees himself as, well, I I haven't sinned much. Because you look at the way he treats people. Look at the way he treats the woman. She's weeping. She's weeping at Jesus' feet. And he's like, man, this this girl, this lady, he doesn't know who he's dealing with right here because this lady's a wretch. You know, this, this lady's a sinner. Look at the way he sees Jesus. He does not appreciate Jesus. Jesus, to him, is not even enough to be kind of an honored guest in his house, right? Doesn't wash his feet, doesn't anoint his head with oil, doesn't kiss him on the cheek. Because he can't see what he fails to see most is himself in, in relation to the other people in the story. Right? He thinks he's better than this woman. He probably thinks he's better than Jesus. And then contrasting, you look at the woman. The woman represents the big sinner. Right? He's the little sinner. She's the big sinner. It leads her to gratitude and boldness and humility because for her to come in to this situation, remember, this is a public, it's basically like a restaurant. You can think of it that way because it's a public forum. People would be walking in and out. Everyone knows this lady. She's a, she's a woman of the city. 
for her to walk in, and by the way, she's also just a woman, and in, in ancient culture, that alone would be enough to deter her from coming straight to Jesus. She's also known to be something, kind of implied to be a prostitute, or at least lascivious in some way, and yet she doesn't even care. She just sees Jesus. She goes straight for him. The idea that Jesus is espousing is that your experience of forgiveness, your experience of gratitude toward God is directly proportional to your understanding of your own sin. See, if you think you've been forgiven little, you'll feel forgiven little and your gratitude will be small. Like the Pharisee who in the presence of Jesus feels no gratitude, no need, no awe, no desperation. And in the presence of this woman feels no compassion. However, if you think you've been forgiven much, your experience will be that of incredible forgiveness. You'll be filled with an overwhelming sense of gratitude and subsequently humility and faith. So the question for us is, how do we adopt the perspective of this woman and guard against the perspective of Simon the Pharisee? Okay, so three, or actually, (laughs) I just said three. (laughs) I only have two, but I just said three because three is like what you're supposed to have. Sorry, (laughs) two things. That we'll spend the rest of, I mean, this is two long things. So don't, don't, don't think it's like almost over. Two, thi- two big things. Okay. First thing. Recognize that you are an extraordinary sinner before a holy God. Recognize that you are an extraordinary sinner before a holy God. See, because Here's the thing in our culture, right? There's been a shift away from the notion of sin. And we don't talk about sin that much anymore. I mean, and, and you might, like, if you don't pay attention, you don't really notice, right? Because you, like, you know, whenever uh, we take Micah, you know, and Josiah, and we go somewhere, we go to, like, a family thing, right? Do you know what they say every time? Like, wow, you got so big, right? Even when we, when we went to visit, you know, like, you know, like, like Jason and Anata, you know, because they had a baby. They've been, like, we haven't seen them in a long time. Right? We go see them, and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, they're so big, right? Do you know why? Because didn't see them for a while, right? But you know what I never say to Micah? I never go to Micah and be like, you're so big. <laughs> like, you grew so much. You know why? Because I see him every day. To me, he doesn't look like he's, I can't even notice. I can't even you know, how much is he going? I don't, I don't know. I'm not paying, I can't pay attention enough to see him grow, right? I have to, you know what I have to do? I got to look at an old picture. I go look at an old video. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. Wow, he's changed. He's grown a lot. See, because the culture, it shifts like, like just that much at a time. It just moves a little bit, a little bit at a time. But I do remember when we used to talk about sin in church and like hell and like the wrath of God. But we don't really talk about stuff like that. Like, we kind of, we don't like that. Our culture hates that. 
That's the one thing that our culture... Like today, the idea of good and evil even. Remember like when you were little, you used to like watch cartoons. You know, like we have Disney Plus. So it's like I found all these old cartoons. And I'm like, Heather and I were talking about this the other day, like gargoyles. <laughs> this old cartoon. We're like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, you know, and I, I would like, I would look at, you know, I would like, oh, what is this? Like, I remember like X-Men, you know, whatever, like some old cartoon, right? And you remember, like you realize... There's good guys and bad guys, and that's just how it is, right? Like G.I. Joe, like Transformers, whatever, like some old cartoon, Ninja Turtles, you know? You know what they don't have? Like old, old episode of Ninja Turtles? There's no, like, where they go into, like, like the deep backstory of, like, Shredder, you know? And, like, what, but, but how did he become, like, what is the life that led, like, they don't spend a season, you know, going through all the things, like his upbringing and how crazy it was, right? But you know, today we love that stuff. Like good and evil doesn't even really exist. We love like like Walter White. You know, we want to know his story. How did you become a villain? Even like Maleficent, right? It's like it's not enough to know like the story. Of, what story is that? Is that Cinderella? You don't gotta. You can't just know like the the hero story. You gotta know the villain story. Joker. Right? It's a very popular movie now. Why? Batman's not even in it, right? Because I want to know how this villain came to be. It's almost like we want to understand villainy more than we want to celebrate heroism. That's the culture we live in. You know why? Because when you can understand a villain, it's not so bad. You can get them. Like, I see that. I can see that. I understand that. I could be that. That's the culture we live in. So in church, it's become incredibly unpopular to say, if you don't believe in Jesus, you will end up in hell, eternal damnation. At least that's the claim that the Bible makes. Like that's, see, that's, that's what I want to make clear. Because whether you believe or not, of course, is a matter of choice to some degree. But I don't want us to be confused about what the Bible says. See, part of my job has to be that, right? To tell you about the seriousness of... Do you know what God thinks about sin? And sin, like, like let, me, let me clarify sin, too, for a second. Um, can I get this? Uh, can I get this? Uh, thank you. Um... Let me, let me clarify sin, too, for that. Like, sin isn't a mistake. Because sometimes I think that's what we think. Like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, how, how old are, My birthday's coming up, right? It's like, how old are you? You know, I'm turning 37. If someone says, I'm, so I'm 36. Someone says, how old are you? And I say, like, oh, I'm 35 or something. Or I'm 37, but I'm actually 36. See, that's a mistake, right? That's not a lie, I mean, it is a lie. It's wrong, I guess. It's like factually incorrect. But that's not like a lie, right? But if, you know, Boomy asked me something like, did you take out the trash yesterday? And I know that I didn't. But I go, no, yeah, I did, right? Like, that's a lie. That's like in me intentionally being deceptive. That's sin. Like, that's come out of my deceptive nature and my deceptive heart. See, that, that is rebellion against God. That's me saying, I know better than you, God. And that, the Bible calls 
sin. And here's what God says about sin. He's, here's Psalm 11, 4 through 5. It says, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Did you know that the Bible says stuff like that? The Lord hates. Because sometimes people will say, well, God loves. God only loves. Yeah, but did you know that he hates the wicked? In fact, it doesn't just say the Lord hates the wicked. It says, it says his soul hates the wicked. It's like deep in his soul. Here's Isaiah 6, right, 3 through 5. The one called to another... And said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is when Isaiah is kind of teleported into the throne room of heaven. Verse 4, it says, And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So when Isaiah says, and you know, we've looked at this passage a lot, right? But when Isaiah says, woe is me, he's saying essentially like, I wish I were dead. He feels this great dread in his heart. Because looking at God doesn't make him feel like, oh, I feel so good. You know, like, I feel so happy. No, being in the presence of God terrifies him. He thinks, I should die right now. Here's Hebrews 6. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away, if they then fall away since they are crucifying once again the the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. That's a crazy passage. Right? And I don't even want to get into all that. Like, this deserves its own theological exploration. What exactly is meant here? But do you know what? I can just read it with no, even if I had never gone to seminary, if I didn't look at any commentary or anything. I could just read it, and you know what I'd know? I know God hates sin. Just from reading this. Here's Hebrews 10. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. i just stop right there. A fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Let me just, one more, okay? I'm just going to do one more. Revelation 16. Okay, it says, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Do you, do you know what's happening here? This is in Revelation, right? This is the end. 
which is coming, by the way. And I don't want to, like, alarm anybody, right? But, like, there are many things happening in the world that make me feel like, man, actually, it might, it might actually happen in our lifetimes. But I don't, I don't want to get into all that, right? But you know what's crazy about this? This is God pouring out judgment on the earth. So people are dying. And what people are doing is, it says, just are you, O, ho- o Holy One, who, wa- who is and who was for you brought these judgments. They are praising God for his wrath. Isn't that crazy? Like, we talked about this in our, you know, we've been doing a, a study in Joshua, right? And we've talked about, like, this thing, the ban, right? Harem, where God sovereignly judges people. And it's, like, uncomfortable, honestly, to talk about. And Randy and I, we'd even go back, you know, when we're prepping the Bible study, we're like, oh, how do we talk about this, you know, and how is it okay, you know, for these things? Because we're uncomfortable about it. You know, I heard, I heard somebody preaching about this. And they were kind of saying, you know, the wrath of God, like sin, hell, the wrath of God, these things, they've become things that we are like ashamed of, right? The church. So we don't even like, it's kind of like almost like if your dad had, you know, like he's an alcoholic or something, but it's like he's your dad, right? You love him and he's like a good guy and he's, you know, he's, he's like nice and, you know, he gives you like gifts, he takes care of, you know, he's not like a bad dad, but like he also has this kind of problem. He's alcohol or like a gambling problem or something and almost like you you're shameful of that so you just want to like hide that to like protect your dad so he doesn't look bad right so you want your dad to look good in front of your friends so you just kind of like you just kind of put that hide that and that's how we feel about the wrath of god many christians today it's like god but god doesn't judge you know he doesn't sins sins you know it's like he's really loving though he's gracious that's what god is all about this other stuff this other part of it like don't worry about that make no mistake about what god claims about himself in his word these are his own these are my claims right these are god's own claims about himself whether you believe god is real and is authoritative or not, there should be no confusion as to what he claims. Now, that's what the Pharisee himself illustrates, that he can't see that. That's what Simon illustrates. He, he can't see God truly, and so he can't see himself truly, and so he can't see this woman truly. Now, let me say this. This isn't to compound our guilt but to free us from it, unless we can actually see our guilt, unless we can actually acknowledge that, exi- it, that it exists and stare it in the face and actually confess it, we can't be forgiven from it. The only real virtue, what Jesus commends in this woman, right? really, when you think about it, when you dig into the past, is that she's able to see herself. She's able to see who she is. She's able to see who Jesus is. And she doesn't even care about what the Pharisee thinks. Like, that's not even in her mind. All she knows is, like, I'm a sinner. And I need this grace. I need this forgiveness. A couple things I'll just say right here in terms of, like, practical application. One, particularly if if you're a believer, 
right? Confession has to be a regular part of your life. Right? It's got to be just regular, habitual. Like, I'm just confessing. You know, and if there's ever, like, if you ever have these times where you got, like, a whole season where you just feel like, I don't know, I just feel good, you know, like, no sin. You know what's happening? You're blind. You're just looking like the Pharisee. Right? Because what we're doing is, here's what the, like, Simon cannot admit. He cannot admit that he and this woman are in the same boat. He can never admit that. Because under his thinking, he's like, there has to be levels to this. Like, there have to be people who are better and people who are worse. There has to be, like, great sinners and small sinners. Like, he has to think of it that way. That's his whole worldview. That's where he finds value in himself. So he's going to always have to look down on somebody. There's always got to be somebody in his life that he thinks he's better than. Right? He has to be like that. He has to think like that. He can never be free of that. And that he's going to be just insecure, right, all the time because that's going to be what drives him. He's going to always feel like he needs to prove something to someone. He's going to always feel like, some, you know, there's somebody in his life who's worse than him. And that's just, that's just going to be his life. And this woman, she's on the totally other side of it. She, like, doesn't care what anybody thinks except for Jesus. So you need confession Right, to be a part of your life. Here's, this, here's the other just quick thing I want to say here before I move on. You need to get alone with God. You know why? Because here's the thing. Like, right now, I could just lie to you guys. I can just say whatever I want. You know, like, I'm not. But, you know, I could. Right? Because what could you do about it? How do you really know? You don't know anything. Right? Like, if I'm talking to somebody on the side, like, I can just make stuff up. It doesn't matter. Like, you don't really know. Right? I can paint it in a certain way. We can always do that to anybody. Even your spouse. You know, even your kids. Even your parents. Like, it doesn't matter. You can always, your best friend, you can always do it if you really want to. Like, if you're really compelled to. But you can't lie to God. Like when you're one-on-one alone with God, there's, what do you got to lie about? He already knows everything. He already knows who you are. He already knows your whole history. He knows sins you forgot already. He remembers. So what is there to lie about? There's nothing to lie about before God. And here's the thing. When you're always surrounded by people, this is one of the reasons we hate being alone, right? Because when you're always surrounded by people, what people think of you tends to be what you think of yourself. You just project that onto yourself. But when you're alone before God, all of a sudden you're exposed. Like what's in your heart, what you're really afraid of, what, you're re- what you really feel about yourself, what you really think about yourself, it all just comes out. That's what really leads us to real confession. Right? When it's not just like, oh, I got tired and I did something bad. But you're like, man, in me there's this deeply rooted selfishness that's just hard to get rid of. Right? It's not just like, I just did this one. Like Generally, I'm such a good person, but I messed up one time. It's like there's something in me. Like I've, I, fe- I realize that it's in there. Like there's this greed or there's this pride, like this arrogance That's not just about me, like, putting myself down. It's like, I need to really come before God 
And here's the thing. When we are able to do that, when that really happens, we can really experience God's grace. Because here's, here's point two. You know, point one is recognize that you're an extraordinary sinner. Here's point two. Recognize that you have been offered an extraordinary forgiveness in Christ. Because when you're like Simon, when you're stuck in that, like when you got those goggles on and that's all you see, it's so hard Like, you get into this thing, right, where you almost feel like you're doing God a favor by showing up. Right? Like, you get into this weird, twisted mentality where it's like, oh, but I showed up today, God. Like, like, are you going to thank me or what? Right? Like, and then if you're serving, I mean, it can be even worse, right? It's like, I mean, God, I'm giving up, like. I'm like doing stuff for you. Like, like, what do I, what do I get out of it? Like, there's almost this mentality, right? Like this entitlement that we learn and we grow into. That's exactly what Simon feels. He's like, man, I've been a religious leader for years. You know, I, I went up through school. Like, I studied under, I studied under, you know, so and so rabbi, whatever. Like, I was like, I'm like legit. Like, I've been doing this for years, and this this person comes in. Like, who is this person? Right, like I paid my dues. Like I'm here because I've been through it. And we we can project that onto God. Right? Like, God, you know what I'm going through here? Do you know the things that I'm doing? Like, are you thankful, God, to have me here? Like, are you thankful for this time that we have together? Like I, it sounds ridiculous, right? But that's 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 really where we get to a lot of times. Now, let me say this. I'm, I'm super, like, encouraged by many of you who, like, serve in the church. You do, so, you do so, so, like, willingly and, like, graciously and, like, not regrettably and burdened. Actually, I get Because sometimes I feel like that, right? And I see some of you guys, and I'm like, oh, man, that's, like, awesome. Like, I'm, I'm very encouraged by that. I get very, I don't know. Honestly, it, like, spurs me on, right? It's like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm very, I get, like, pumped up when I see that. You know, and I love when somebody, <laughs> there's another thing I love, like when somebody finds what they're meant to do, <laughs> like in the church, you know, even though they, they, they fight it sometimes. But like when you see it and you see God use that, like I get so, that is, that's incredible to me. But for some of it, like if following Christ seems like a great burden more than a great privilege, like you're just, and I'm not saying this to like, you know, guilt you, I'm saying it because you're missing the freedom of Christ's forgiveness. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave of the lender. So, it's very, you know, so it's interesting, because this, this is like about finances, right? I am, I, I shared this before, I'm about like $40,000 in debt to uh, Biola University, <laughs> freaking Biola, for my Master's of Divinity, where I was like $100,000 in debt before, paid it down this much. And, um, you know, if like one day, 
just what for whatever reason, right? Like if Randy were to show up at my door one day, he'd be like, hey, Joe, you know, I had a, I had a crazy year. You know, I was like subbing like crazy, right? And um, I saved up, you know, like, like $40,000. Here's $40,000 so you can pay your debt. Like, you know what? I'll be like, dude, I'd be like so happy, right? I would like hug Randy, right? I would just kiss him, you know, on the lips, whatever, right? I would like dance, like, you know, more than I did at the wedding. Like, you know what? I'd just be going crazy, whatever. Right? I'd be so happy. I would be like overjoyed. And, you know, every time we meet, like, you know, because Randy and I meet every week, right? Like, if every time we meet, I'd be like, no, 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 Randy, like, you're not paying today. Every time. For the rest of his life, right? I'd be like, no, 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 I got it. You know, I got lunch. Like, I got coffee. We'll, we'll just, we'll meet at Stereoscope from now on so you can actually get the, the coffee you want. Like, I would, that's what I would do. I would be like, because I would feel so grateful for the rest of my life for $40,000. And yet, we have incurred an eternal debt to God because of sin. Not a monetary debt. It's interesting that the Bible talks about money at all or indebtedness at all. What we have incurred before God is not a monetary debt. It's a criminal debt. Right? It's, it's, not, it's not money. It's not a loan that we have to repay. It's, it's execution. And yet, here, here's, what, here's what Colossians says. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, all our debts, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Your debt, like what God offers us, is a completely clean record of debt. No debt. Not only that, it's like even future debts. If you incur any future debts, those are also all paid. Like the entire history of your life and even anything that you do in the future, that's all paid by Christ you know, um, so after Bible study the other day, Heather and I, we were just, well, Heather and Randy and I were just talking about um, this interesting, like, thought experiment. Like, um, what would I be like if I never met Jesus? Right? And it's, like, it, it's, like, interesting. And, like, after you left Randy, like, Heather and I talked for, like, like two hours or something. We were just, like, talking about it. You know, because it, it's so interesting, you know, like, because I really thought about my life. And I, I had never, apparently, Heather does this all the time. I don't know why she's crazy. You know, but, like, I, I, you know, I, don't, I don't do this. I had never done this. But I started thinking about it. And at first, I was like, you know, I think my life would be, like, a little different. You know, I'd probably, like, I don't know if I'd be, like, married. You know, I don't know what I'd be in my life. Probably do, be doing, I'd be doing a different job, obviously. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about it, right? Like, I wonder how different my lifestyle would be. But the more I thought about it. The more grim, like, the outlook became for my life outside of Christ, you know, the more I, and now I'm convinced after thinking about it, that I would probably either not be alive or I would be, like, 
heavily addicted to something because that is my personality and because I have gone through a lot of depression and have been, you know, like have wanted to end my life before. And I'm pretty sure like without Jesus, I would have definitely done that. And it's crazy. Like I can only say that. And we were talking about it and Heather's like, oh man, it's getting dark. You know, it's like, it's getting real dark, like talking about it. But to me, it's like, it's not dark. What's dark about it? Because it's not my life. I don't think that at all. I just know though, that without Jesus, that's certainly where I would be. Sometimes I think we think, oh, I wonder if my life would be different. When I think about what my life is now, in light of that, all I can feel is incredible, like, gratitude to God. Because I know that for many, many years, I carried around this burden of my own sin and that I had to solve this problem. Like, I have to solve this problem. I know this is a problem that I have to solve. And Christ has just taken that away. Now, this, is, this means two huge things, okay? And I will close with this. In Christ, you are offered extraordinary freedom from sin, right? Both from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, right? From the wrath of God, from the, you know, the domination of sin, so that not only is your debt forgiven, it's Jesus has paid all of it, but you're free to no longer have to choose a life of indebtedness. Because when we have unforgiven sin, like, and this is the thing, this is the thing about my debt, right? My actual financial debt. It's such a financial burden, right? Because I got to pay it every month. And then also I look at the, how, the balance and I'm like, freak, man, it's like it doesn't go down. It doesn't feel like it goes down. And it's like, oh, it's just like, it's just there, right? It's like, it's just there. And I'm always thinking about it. I have to pay it every month, and it's always there. But when, when you know Jesus, it's just gone. The second is this. Uh, in Christ, you're free to not have to view people the way Simon does. Right? To judge people, to look down on people, to not forgive people. Simon has no compassion in his heart. Right? And let me just, you know, like when he looks at the woman, right, she's crying over there. She's just like pouring out her heart. And Simon's just like, oh, this sinner, like what's wrong with her? Can't see her heart, right? Can't see what she's going through. The contrasting view to Simon in the Bible. So Simon looks at this woman, right? He sees her just as a sinner. The contrasting view to Simon isn't the woman's. Right, how the woman sees Simon. Because the woman doesn't see Simon. The contrasting view to Simon's, the Pharisee, is Jesus's. When Simon looks at the woman, it, it's not just how we see other people, it's how we see ourselves. Right? Because that's Simon's world. Within Simon's world, he also thinks like these sins... Right? To, to judge people according to their sins, their flaws, their mistakes, how they are not living up to. That's what we do to others. That's what we also do to ourselves. 
But the way Jesus sees the woman is what Jesus sees in us. Potential faith, a great testimony, a, a child of his own, that, which is crazy because I would never think of this, right? But what God would do, that he would send his own son to die for that woman, for you and for me, that is what Jesus sees. That is what Jesus knows when he looks at us. That is what Jesus offers us, this extraordinary gratitude and freedom. And so um, what we're actually going to do today is we're going to have a time of communion. And, um, you know, communion is, is one of the things that we do as a church to remember Christ to remember the sacrifice. The bread is representative of his body. The juice is representative, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice is representative of his blood, which has been shed for the forgiveness of sins. And, you know, as we kind of step into this time, you know, I I really want to offer you guys to just take a moment and pray. Um, You know, and, and, Here's what I would say, you know, and just as a reminder, communion is something for believers. You know, if you're not a believer, you're not sure where you stand, you know, I just encourage you to maybe abstain from this time. But for all of us, really to step into a time of prayer. And if you really want to, like, if you feel like, man, I feel like my heart has grown cold. You know, to the magnitude of God's forgiveness and mercy. Like, it's just, it's not crazy to me anymore. You know, I just, it's just a thing. It's just a normal thing. I feel kind of entitled when I come to God. I feel kind of like he owes me for my service, for my showing up, you know, for my relationship. I just want to encourage you, you know, to take some time and to really just be honest with God. You know, maybe share that with God. Spend some time in confession. And maybe for some of us, it'll be like the first time or like the first time in a long time that we can actually go to God and just be like, you know what, God, but this is this is me. Like, this is my heart. This is where I'm at. And just experience God's forgiveness. You know, it's all about the cross. It's all about Jesus. Again, there's no, like, this isn't something where it's like, oh, we got to do it now. You know, like, if you really, the way to apply this sermon is not to be like, oh, I'm not going to sin anymore. No, it's really to, to step into faith in Christ. Be like, thank you, Jesus, so much for your forgiveness and to let that lead you, to let, to respond out of that. And so I'm going to read this passage um, I'm going to read this from uh, Corinthians 11, and then I'll pray for us, and then we can go ahead and, you know, well, actually, praise, can you guys come up? But uh, we can spend some time in prayer, and then whenever you feel ready, you can step to the back and uh, um, take the bread, take a piece of the bread, take the cup. This is from 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. God, I just want to confess, God, before you. You know, I'm a, I'm a sinner, God. I mean, a forgiven sinner, but a sinner nonetheless. God, there is, there is pride and lust and greed and just selfishness, God, in my heart. And God, it is amazing. It is unspeakably amazing. It is, it is extraordinary, God. It's out of the ordinary, the kind of forgiveness that you offer a sinner like me, God. Like any of us in this room that the, you know, quote-unquote worst of sinners that your mercy and your grace and your love and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is more than enough to cover. I pray, God, that you would help us to have sober minds and clear eyes and sensitive hearts to really be able to see God, to see the way you see to see simultaneously the wretchedness of our sin and yet the beauty of your grace and forgiveness. We pray that as we step into this time, God, would it be an act of faith, God, of that, Lord, to step into that. Would you bless the bread, God? that is representative of your body. Would you bless the fruit of the vine that is representative of your blood as we take it? And would you even, would you grant us, God, faith and just the experience of your forgiveness as we step into this time of communion? We entrust it to you. We thank you, God. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.